If you take your Bibles, turn to um, Haggai chapter number two. Boy, what a joy it is uh, just to be a part of this camp. Um, you know, we've had a chance to get to know um, a lot of you. I think I misspoke. I think we were at a family one years ago. Some of you corrected that, rightly so. Um, and so uh, I, when I look back at my notes, um, I didn't note which family camp we are at. Shame on me uh, for not noting that. Um, but uh, it has been a blessing just to get to know you folks. It's been a blessing to listen to you sing. What a joy that is. Um, as uh, Pastor Danny mentioned, it's just a joy to get together um, as uh, various churches and just worship together and uh, be able to minister together. And uh, it's just uh, such a blessing to be here. It's refreshing. Um, and we are uh, excited to see what God continues to do um, in our midst as God crosses our paths together. It's always a little bit, uh, it's just a little sadness. You get to the end of the week and uh, it's like, man, uh, how quickly, how quickly it went. Um, but we have some time to spend here to finish off the book of Haggai. I know that it was uh, maybe a little bit of an oddity. You're saying, man, what's this going to be like? Uh, we're going to look at a minor prophet. We're going to look at an entire book for the whole week. Um, this, is gonna, this might be rough, uh, but hopefully uh, you are blessed by it. Um, and it was uh, something that you can take with you. Hopefully you made notes within your Bible, within the margins, um, elsewhere. Um, and you'll be able to uh, challenge and encourage yourself with the Word of God uh, moving forward as well. Uh, we want to now finish with um, Haggai chapter 2, uh, verse, uh, verse number 20 through 23. Um, so if you'll follow along with me as we read, I'll put it up on the screen. The Word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel. Governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdom of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders. And the horses and riders shall go down, everyone by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. As you'll see in your notes, your booklet there, the actions of God establish trust in the promises of God. Um, so we look at what God has done, and that fills us up with hope and trust and belief um, in the promises that God has given. And so we could simply ask the question, what does uh, God promise? And as you'll see in your notes, God promises renewal, relief, um, and rescue. He offers all of these uh, things to us. So uh, we'll jump right into it. Uh, God promises renewal. This is the idea that we can trust God's solution. Um, when we think about what God has promised, we need to realize um, that it is not up to us. Uh, it's not up to us. Uh, verse number 20, it says, The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month, speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth. You know, friends, there is relief here if we will take it. 
Um, if you look at this entire little chunk of scripture, uh, verse 21, he says, I am about to shake the heavens. Verse 22, he says, I am about to overthrow. Verse 22, he says, I am about to destroy. Verse 22, he says, I am about to overthrow the chariots and riders. Verse 23, he says, I will take you. Verse 23, he says, I will make you. And again in verse 23, he says, I have chosen you. And isn't it wonderful to see God using the singular personal pronoun um, to over and over again pound into our minds, pound into our hearts, God is at work. And if we just take a moment to remind ourselves of the situation of these Jewish people uh, there uh, in, Ju in, in Judah, uh, they, uh, they were small, they were defenseless, they were there by the whim and the will of the Persian government. Uh, they were oppressed by Persia. But the truth is, God was giving them a message. And the message was, I will fight for you. And doesn't that apply to us as well? And this doesn't mean that our efforts are useless or for naught. God um, is at work to use us to bring about his work. You know, it's fascinating, uh, just the reality that God could do all, of this without him, do all of this without us, but yet he determines to use us. He determines to work in our midst, and what a joy that is. Um, even though God doesn't need us, he has determined that he will use us, and so our efforts are not pointless. Rather, our God is so great that he has determined he will use us to accomplish his work. You know, as you think about the people that God has used in many ways, uh, maybe you uh, would recognize this person, maybe not. You've heard probably of Brother Andrew. Um, this is Brother Andrew. God used him to smuggle Bibles into the former Soviet Union. Uh, that, that block of Soviet oppression, it was illegal to bring Bibles into communist countries. Uh, Andrew's story is fascinating. We might disagree a little bit on theological differences, but it is awesome to see God at work uh, in someone's life. And if you could say one thing about Brother Andrew, uh, Brother Andrew was willing to take God at his word. Uh, he was willing to walk by faith. Uh, and so he recognized that people needed the word of God if they were going to grow. And the Soviet Union had said nobody can bring in the, the Bible. In fact, they were burning Bibles, right? You remember this, don't you? Um, and Brother Andrew said, well, if God wants to be involved in their lives, they need the word of God. Uh, and he just set out. This is mind-blowing to me because my mind doesn't work this way. I say, you know what? There ought to be a strategy. There ought to be a plan. Let's do some risk assessment. And then I see people who decide not to do that, and I'm like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> That's just not good thinking. And then I look at it, and I go, I think I'm a better steward of them than they are, right? You know, it's like, I, I you know, you shouldn't do that. But then you see God do something like he has done in like Brother Andrew's life, and you're just like, well, it's God. <laughs> and what do you do? I mean, it's just, it's awesome. Brother Andrew used this little vehicle to smuggle Bibles into various countries in the Soviet Union. Before he had this vehicle, someone gave it to him. He did not have a car. And it's like, Andrew, what was your plan? What was your plan? He didn't have a plan. 
He didn't have a plan. Somebody gave him a car. And he was like, oh, I'll use that. It's like, that's not fair. That's not right. You don't have a plan. You should fail. Uh, but God just said, no, he's following me. I'm going to do it. And so he took risks. And as he took risks, God continued to bless him. Now, please, I'm telling you how I think about these things. It's mind-numbing to me to think about it. I, I'm just not built that way. Um, and so I'm not trying to tell you, go out and take as many risks as possible for God. Okay, that's, not, that's not exactly what I'm saying. What I'm rather saying is that sometimes we punt to God and he never misses the catch, right? Um, he's always there. One time when Brother Andrew was entering Romania, he was in line at a checkpoint. And again, he didn't have a plan. It's fine. <laughs> but he's there in line, and he sat there watching the cars in front of him get carefully searched. Can you just imagine this? Um, they were taking a half hour to an hour on each car. So you're in this vehicle, and you're sitting there. You're entering Romania uh, with the vehicle packed with illegal Bibles. And it's like, what do you think is going to happen? And it's car after car. So six cars in front of him, a half hour to an hour for each of them. What, you know, he's, he's just sitting there. What, what is he doing? Sweating and praying. And then he gets up to it. And the guard leans against his door and he looks at Andrew's passport and then he just waves him through. Unbelievable. And it's like, that's our God. It's like, why would he do that for Brother Andrew? Was he special? And I would say he was doing God's work. Sometimes we look at it and we go, why don't we see miracles like that today? And I would simply submit to you that if you get involved in the, the advance of the gospel, and if that is your heart and your motive, you will see those things. Because that's what God is doing. That's what his promises say. I, and, and that's what he did. That's what he did. It's an awesome thing. You know, I have probably not done a great job of speaking directly to teenagers here. Um, and I, I really ought to have done a, a little more focused um, intention on that. But let me just, uh, uh, teenagers, think through this a little bit in your own lives. Perhaps uh, there's something that is going on in your life um, where the question is, um, is God going to get involved? You know, we need to remember that it is not up to us. That there does need to be a reliance upon the Lord. Um, perhaps uh, you have an issue with a habitual sin. And at this point in your life, you are looking at this sin and you're going like, I am never going to break the power of this sin. And I would just encourage you, you are right by yourself. You will never break it. But God is not willing to let you go at it alone. And you go, I just can't imagine what that's going to look like. And I would say, dear teenager, turn to the Lord. Maybe there's a broken relationship that seems like it'll never be restored. Or perhaps your life situation is so challenging that you think there's no solution. And you're like, I can't imagine how God is going to solve this. I can't imagine that it's going to ever be solved. And I would simply encourage you, turn to God. Do you believe that he cares for you? Do your best to live rightly before him and then trust him. Respond in as biblical a manner as possible. And this is where we fall down sometimes. 
uh, is because we say, I'm going to try to handle this in my own power. And we don't think about it in those terms. So that's what we're doing. We're not including God into it. And so we attempt to try to solve the problem. You say, I'm just trying to solve the problem. And I would say, yeah, but you have to solve it by including God. Just trust him. Do it his way. You say, how, you know, we have all these stories of Brother Andrew. How, how do you get a story like Brother Andrew? You have to trust God. You have to take those steps. And you say, when is that going to happen in my life? And I would say, when you start trusting God. And when should that begin? As soon as you're able to trust God. <laughs> and you will see him at work. You know, isn't it easy to see how trusting in God takes the weight off of ourselves and places it on God? Uh, it's a, it's a, an opportunity for us to really take a step back and say, okay, let's see what God does. And, you know, that's why he gives us these glimpses into the future. Uh, and so we think about this passage uh, that we're talking about. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai in the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth. So here's the governor of Judah. They are rebuilding the temple, and that's not going to fix everything. And he recognizes it won't fix everything, but he gets this word from the Lord where God says, I am going to be involved. How encouraging is that? And so he could take a step back, and as leader of the people, he can say, it's not up to only me. I can rest in God. And I would say that's the position of every believer. So we see that it's not up to us, and we also see that God's coming day motivates our current day. You know, God's solutions might not always match up with our solutions, our solutions are often nearsighted. They tend to focus predominantly upon ourselves. We desire for things to be a certain way for us. And the truth is we don't look at life in a manner that God does. That's a, that's a gradual process. We learn how to do that more and more. We see life from the perspective of, you know, a generation, right? A generation, maybe a couple generations if we labor hard. And we also see life from the perspective of ourselves at the center. What is God doing for me? Rather than what, how can I be a part of what God is doing for everyone? You know, that's a, such a, a mind shift, a paradigm adjustment. Our wrong thinking, our shallow philosophy, it shows up in practical ways. We make large and small choices based upon our own delights and our prosperity. We are the sun around which everything else rotates, but we need to actually see the galaxy in order to understand better our place within it. And this is the affliction of all humans. It's no surprise that we see it showing up for the Israelites in Haggai's day as well. God's solution to self-centeredness, to narrowed thinking, is to remind them of his grand plans. So if you're reading Haggai and you see what's this talk about Zerubbabel and him being a signet ring and God doing something about shaking the heavens and earth and you're like what's that all about and here's what it's about. God is helping them take a step back and to look at the big picture and in the midst of seeing the big picture God is there to say okay here's you and here's what I'm doing and it's like wow. Man, that's helpful. That's powerful. I am about to shake the heavens and the earth. You know, that does something to rouse us from slumber and wake us up to events that we aren't fully considering. Okay, 
This isn't only just about my small sliver. What is happening tomorrow or next week or next month? It's also about how this fits in the grand plan of God. You know, God did not give us glimpses of the future so that we can make charts and attempt to solve riddles and work to guess when things are going to occur. Um, now, I'm not against charts. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but if the whole goal is to try to say, now if I can just figure this out and if I can look for the hidden meaning, and it's like it's not hidden. It's right there. God's just saying, here's what I'm doing. Understanding what God's saying is important, so I'm, I'm not trying to push us away from that endeavor. But that understanding is a gift that can expand our thinking, and that informs our day-to-day. -day. Think of this from, like, Romans 13, verse 11. It says, besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Okay, don't you love this? This is Paul, and he is saying this ultimate salvation that is going to be found in Jesus Christ. We're closer to it now than when we first believed. This is the attitude that we ought to embrace. And then he goes on. Uh, verse 12, the night is far gone. The day is at hand. So just catch the imagery. He's saying they're in the middle of the night. Let's wake up while it's still night, even though the day is coming. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light, lest we let us walk properly as in the daytime. He's talking about the future. He's talking about the second coming. He's talking about a time when there is no more darkness, when there's nothing but light. And he's saying, let's act like that's now, even though it's the night, because it's coming. Let's wake up. And it's really a powerful image, right? Not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the, the Lord Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. You know, when we go to bed, maybe we have night clothes, there's all kinds of procedures we might to go through, the CPAP machine goes on, whatever needs to happen. But then when you wake up, you get ready for the day. Because things are different, it's daytime. Uh, and that's what we're called to do. That's what the future should do for us. These prophecies that were given, it should say, hey, this is coming. And it's close. And so it's like the alarm clock. And it's super annoying. Uh, 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 uh. But you hit it, and you get up, and you get ready, and you say, I'm going to live in the day. Um, and that's the idea. That's what he's calling us towards. So God promises renewal, but he also promises relief. We can trust God's salvation. What we are given here in Haggai are several reminders of the relief, the salvation that God does provide. Um, here's the first one. Relief from abusive authority. We see this in verse 22. He says, and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. Isn't that a weird way to say it? To overthrow the throne of kingdoms. He's not talking about going up and grabbing the throne and tipping it over. Um, what's he talking about? He's talking about here the idea of authority or control. Uh, the picture of a throne is the picture of authority. And we can relate to that, can't we? Have you ever been in a situation where the authority over you was abusive? You know, how many times have believers been in situations where those in authority abuse them because they're believers? How many times 
How often does this occur currently in our world right now? How soon until it becomes more and more prevalent here in America? But you know, the point here isn't that we should hard, work hard to get it to stop, but we should recognize that there's coming a day when all of that abusive authority will be overthrown. You know, is there an oppressive situation in your life? What do you think? Is God aware? Does he care? Is there hope? Friends, God is aware of such abuse. He's executing a plan to deal with that abusive authority once and for all. And in that, we hope. How many people here are the youngest? I was talking to Pat um, about childbirth order, right? How many here are youngest? You're the youngest in the family, right? You know what it is to live under abusive authority, don't you? <laughs> Can I get an amen for that? Yes. I am the youngest of three siblings, two older brothers that Satan used. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. They're wonderful people. But I do remember times that they abused their authority. Sometimes, sometimes they even told me they were abusing their authority. They said, I'm in charge. You're not. And I said, yeah, but mom and dad wouldn't want you to do that. And they would say, I don't care. I don't care. I'm in charge. Uh, and I could say, you're abusing your authority. Uh, but it wouldn't matter, right? And so what do you do? You knuckle under or you pay the price. <laughs> um, but your hope is what? What's your hope? Youngest, what's your hope? What do you do? Dad's coming back. And so you're like, hey, you want to abuse me? Go ahead. That's right, take it out. That's fine. Uh, do your worst. And then dad and mom come back, and you go, hey, I have something really devastating to share to you. I know that you're putting your hope and your trust in your oldest. <laughs> I really don't want to have to tell you this because, I, I mean, my expectations for him were much higher. But I think, in the interest of the family, I better let you know they abused me again. <laughs> right? It was, it's like a public service thing, just trying to help things out. Now, I illustrate this truth with a humorous example to kind of lighten the weight of it. But can I just flip that real quick and get serious again? You know, dear friend, if you're in an abusive situation and you look at it and you say, there is no hope, I really, it's like, Pastor Steve, I know that's funny, ha, 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 but I, I, I really, this is, it's not good. Uh, and do those things exist? Ah, oh, dear friend, they exist. They exist more than we know, more than we know. But there is one who does know. And so even though I joke and, and make light of the fact that dad and mom would return, that really is the picture of what Jesus will do. And you know, if you remember that, if you remember that, uh, another minor prophet, um, and as he pleaded with the Lord um, about how evil people were prospering and God wasn't doing anything, and then God said, okay, all right, here's what I'm going to do. And that minor prophet said, whoa, that's too much. You remember that? There in Habakkuk? And he said, that's too much. It's like, you can't do that. It's like, that's too much. And God said, I hate evil more than you do. 
and I will make it right. And it is, I mean, God, he's so much bigger. And so we look at that and we go, okay, but God, I only wanted you to go this far. But God says, no, I'm, gonna, I'm going this far because I actually hate evil. And it's sobering. And it's like, that's, that's our hope. It is so sobering that when it comes to it, we'll say, I think it's too much, God. I think it's too much. It's, that is how serious God takes this. And all of that is to give you hope. God is not unaware. He knows. He cares. He will make it right. You must put your hope in that. Relief from abusive authority, but also relief from oppressive strength. Look again at verse 22. To overthrow the throne of kingdoms. That's the authority. I am able to destroy the strength of the kingdom of the nations. There we have their power, right? Uh, the abusive strength. The strength of the kingdoms of the nations. And overthrow the chariots and the riders. Strength. And the horses and the riders shall go down. Everyone by the sword of his brother. So God is going to exterminate the power of the kingdom of the nations. A power that was particularly exerted by Persia in Haggai's day. He says, I will overturn chariots and their riders. What does that bring to mind? Moses, right? The song of Moses, Exodus 15, which celebrates Yahweh's conquest of the Egyptians in the Exodus. Now, we're not going to park here long, but we just want to kind of embrace what this looks like. Consider the helplessness of the Israelites on that day. I mean, you've studied that passage, I sincerely hope, but read it. Um, because here, here they have um, this situation where they're heading one way and then they turn around and they go back another way and God backs them up against the Red Sea, right? Um, and he traps them in in order to get Egypt to come out. Um, and the average Israelite, they don't understand any of that. They don't know that. All they know is that suddenly their backs are against the sea and Pharaoh and his armies are coming. And it's like, what is going to happen next? Uh, and, and they can't imagine how God is going to solve this. But God had a plan all along. The fear that would have received them, the relief that would have washed over them, pun intended, right? Um, as God took care of the problem. And he also gives the image of an army falling by the sword of his brother. This echoes Gideon's defeat of the Midianites, Judges 7. And we can, again, consider the utter madness of God narrowing down the number of Israelites from 33,000. 33,000 gathered to fight the Midianites. 33,000. God says, ah, it's too many. Let's bring it down to 10,000. And then to 300. It's ridiculous. And then he sends them to fight against, do you remember that number? 135,000 Midianites. 300 against 135,000. It's just, it's, it's lunacy. And it's like 33,000 wouldn't have stood a chance. And God says, yeah, it's too many. Let's bring it down to 300. That's 450 to 1. It's like, all right, you take care of your 450. I think I could probably do... <laughs> what? How is God going to do that? And God turned their army against themselves. And so he says, overthrow the chariots and the riders, 
and the horses and the riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. You know, our God is so great that he can turn an army against an army. He doesn't even need the 300, right? I mean, that's the message. That's the message. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11, it says, To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of Jesus, of the Lord Jesus, may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our Lord, of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Can God give you relief from oppressive strength all around you? Yes. Yes. And if he is not currently, it's because it is part of his larger plan. Friends, be encouraged. I don't know what relief you need, but as you come here to family camp, um, to let the word of God just be poured into you, to put yourselves into a cocoon, a greenhouse, as it were, and just to grow. Isn't it awesome to spend so much time in the Word of God and separated from the troubles and the trials and the difficulties from back home? And you say, yeah, but Steve, I got to go back. And I would say, yep, you get to go back, uh, and you get to continue to live out these truths. Um, but you go back with a renewed vision and a renewed heart. You go back with your eyes filled with the glory of God. And so you look at things differently and you walk differently. And that's a, that's a tremendous blessing. God promises renewal. He promises relief. He also promises rescue. You know, we can trust God's Son. And that's all what this last part of Haggai 2 is about. Verse 23 says, On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Sheatiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. You know, there's a, really a mosaic of terms with Davidic associations. It's all put together in this final verse. Yahweh took, same word, took David from tending the flock and appointed him ruler, and so he will take Zerubbabel. He uses the term my servant. It's used with Davidic overtones in the prophets, not least because the designation my servant is used 31 times of David. The designation son of Sheatiel. You, know, you say, why do they keep saying that? No word is wasted in the word of God, right? And so why does it keep saying that? Because it is setting Zerubbabel in the Davidic line. I mean, it is making it clear. This is his heritage. This is his lineage. And in addition, David was chosen by Yahweh, and now Yahweh says he has chosen Zerubbabel. And so this whole thing reeks of Davidic overtones. It's like this is about David. Zerubbabel directly um, in the line of David. And so God here is pointing out this rescue, but this rescue is not just future, it's also present, present help. God reversed to Zerubbabel the sentence on Jehoiakim that he gave uh, Zerubbabel to the people of Israel in Haggai's day. So um, the idea was God had condemned Jehoiakim, and now he's reversing that. Uh, and you could go back and do that study. 
Uh, but in the midst of that, he calls him his signet ring. Now, the signet ring was a common emblem of ownership and authority um, in the ancient Near East. It's used for a authentication of such things like royal directives or legal documents. And sometimes it might be worn as a neck pendant. Um, Genesis talks about that, Genesis 38. A finger ring, Jeremiah 22 talks about that. A bracelet, the Song of Songs, chapter 8, verse 6 talks about that. It would, it would bear uh, the owner's name or mark, and it could be used as personal identification. Nearest in wording to Haggai um, is Song of Songs, 8-6, where the beloved desires her name to be engraved on her lover's heart and arm making her central to, her, to, her effect, to his affections, and the first call on his strength. And in Haggai, as in Song of Songs, it's the wearing, not the using, of the signet that's mentioned. So the whole thing, it symbolizes possession and enjoyment of a close personal relationship. And that's the idea. Zerubbabel, God is saying, I am taking my mark of authentication and I am placing it on your finger. You are chosen by me. Now I would say that God had sent Jesus to help us and Jesus is coming back. But God also sends others to act like Jesus in our lives as well. And the truth is, that's exactly what the people had in Zerubbabel. Um, he was not Jesus, but he foreshadowed Jesus. Did he foreshadow Jesus as well as David? Not as well as David. But that's the point. The point is that he stands in the line of David who stands in the line of Jesus. You know, when we think about the need for other people to be in our lives, um, God is willing to bring others to help us. And this is exactly what he was doing. You know, uh, the people of Israel would have loved for Jesus, the Messiah, to come back right then, but that wasn't God's plan. His plan instead was to say, look towards someone who is coming, and then he says, I'm going to give you Zerubbabel as a present help. He is one who stands in the line of Jesus, and he will act like Jesus to you. Now, I'm not saying they should worship him. He is just part of God's plan to reach into their lives and help him uh, and help them. And I think we all understand the necessity of that. You know, the advantage of speaking to a different group of people is that you haven't heard all of my stories. Isn't that a blessing? I remember when I was um, just out of college and I was in Watertown, Wisconsin. My brother Dave um, was a police officer. He's still a police officer in Watertown, Wisconsin. Um, he's a detective now. But then he was just starting on the force and I got to do a ride-along with Dave. Um, and I'm doing this ride-along with my brother Dave and there was a guy who was um, squealing his tires and we could hear it, right? And I'm like, Dave, let's go get him. Come on. Uh, and Dave, Dave was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because he's a cop. He's cool. They take things calm. Uh, and so we go around, and then we see him, and he goes flying through a stop sign. And I'm like, yes! Uh, and so we follow this kid, and this kid sees that we're behind him, and he takes off. And I'm like, this is the best ever. <laughs> and so I'm like, hit the sirens, man. Let's go. And so Dave, Dave said, I'm not going to turn the sirens on. Uh, I think he just did that to annoy me. I'm not sure why. I mean, it's like, do the sirens. Uh, but he didn't. And he just, he just sped up, and he just followed the kid, and the kid finally realized, okay, I'm not going to outrun this police guy. 
And so he pulls over to the side of the road real quick and he jumps out and he starts running. And so what did I do? So I'm like opening the side door and I'm yelling at Dave, can I catch him? And, and Dave goes, go ahead. And so I'm booking it after this kid. And Dave's, he's got to like, he's getting out and he's, you know, he's got to secure everything and, and he's carrying like, you know, 50 pounds of equipment. And so I'm just, I'm just going, I'm going after this, this perpetrator, uh, right? I mean, this is a criminal. Um, he's like 16. <laughs> and so I'm just running through the streets, you know, through the backyards of Watertown. It was awesome. It was like an episode of cops in my mind. And we're like going through people's backyards. It was so cool. And we're jumping fences and I'm gaining on him. And then I'm getting winded and I'm starting to wonder if I'm going to catch him. Um, and then he finally gets to a fence and he's fiddling with the latch. And then he gets a leg up on the fence and I get to him and I put my shoulder into him and push him against the fence and he goes down on the ground. And then I look around for my brother. <laughs> and I go, stay there. Dave, <laughs> what do you do? I don't know. What do you do? I don't know. I don't know what you do. So I got my knee on the kid's back, and I'm calling for my brother <laughs> because I'm in trouble at this point. And then Dave comes around the corner, praise God, and he comes over and he jumps on the kid. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> and he puts handcuffs on him, and a criminal was put away. It was a beautiful moment. Uh, it was awesome. But I needed help. And you know, dear friends, we all need the Lord. And the Lord puts people in our life that act like Jesus for us. People that he has changed. And we ought to turn to them. Present help and future fullness. Isn't it true that Zerubbabel did not fulfill all that God was promising here? And the answer is, yes, of course, but that's part of the point. It's to point towards one who will. And nobody will fulfill all the help that you need because it has to come from Jesus. And so one day he will return. Ezekiel 34, 23 tells us, I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David. Hebrews eleven thirty nine, and all and the and all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. And I would say, friends, we follow in the same tradition. You know, faith in God's promises, it's never wishful thinking. And when God brings somebody into your life to help, um, it is a way to look towards that future fulfillment that is found in Jesus Christ alone. As we close out our service, let me just encourage us uh, to think about this in this way. Let's remember the promises of God in order that we might remember it is not up to us that we might be motivated in how we spend each day, that we might persevere under corrupt authority, that we might rest in our present help, and that we might anticipate future fullness. Let's close together in prayer. Father, we thank you for the great book of Haggai. We thank you for the people that lived in that day 
and how you worked in their lives. And Lord, we thank you for preserving it for us so that we might be challenged and encouraged. Lord, we thank you for a week of camp to just pour into this book and let it minister to our souls. And we're so thankful uh, to you for your goodness to us. We thank you for Jesus. Our eyes turn towards him. Our hope is in him. Lord, may you be with people that are here in whatever struggles that they have, that you might lift up their eyes and they might see uh, your son um, who is there to help them currently and in the future. Everything is solved by him. May you encourage them today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.